Let me pray for us as we launch this new series. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that we have the opportunity as men to come and worship and to study your word and to be hopefully changed by your word. And I pray that that's what will happen over these next 12 weeks as we launch into this new series, Flawed Yet Faithful. Father, it's my prayer that as we study the lives of these six men, that we will not look at them as archaic, uh, historical figures who happen to be used by you and we can't relate to, but that we, we would see that these were flesh and blood men who had flaws, who screwed up on a regular basis, who made mistakes, who didn't always have faith, who didn't always know what to do and didn't always do what was right, but yet you used them in an incredible way. And may we walk out of this room today and in the weeks ahead encouraged by the fact that you have chosen us in spite of our flaws to do great things. And we just pray that you would use us in a mighty way in the days, the weeks, and the months months ahead in spite of all that's going on around us, Father. May we be flawed yet faithful men. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Do you guys ever feel like um, God can't use you? Um, you're just damaged goods. You just don't have anything to offer. Um, you're not smart enough. You don't know the Bible enough. Um, you've got too much sin in your past, too much baggage in your present. You know that you just, God can't use me. Uh, God won't use me. I want to be used, but he's going to use somebody else. There's the guy next to me. He's going to use him because he looks better than I do. He's, he's a little more together Uh, spiritually than I am. Do you ever struggle with that, that God's not going to use me? Maybe you feel like you have no value to God. Uh, You don't bring enough to the table. Again, you don't know enough scripture. Uh, you're, You're not confident in sharing your faith. So why would God use me? Why would God choose to take this life and use it to do anything for his kingdom? You know, I think the truth is, Many of us feel like we've got either too many mistakes we've made, too much baggage from the past, um, we're too weak in too many ways right now that we can't be used of God. So we've turned that over to somebody else. God will use somebody else, and I'll just keep showing up. Um, And hopefully someday if I work hard enough, I listen long enough, and I study the scriptures long enough, maybe someday God will use me, but not right now. You know, it's my hope as we go through this that what you'll get out of it is the fact that you are usable right now. Uh, You're usable. And we've got to get past this idea that God only uses perfect people. Uh, God only uses those who really look good, smell good, act well, do all the right things, have the right persona, charismatic, outgoing, good speakers, good teachers. That's the only people God uses. He only uses the Billy Grahams of the world. Um, We've got to get past that because if that's our mentality, we will never be used and will never be usable. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the goal of this series as we we look at the lives of six different men from the Scriptures. it's It's to take them off their pedestal, look at them as flesh and blood men who weren't any different than you and I, But somehow God used them. Somehow God decided to use them. 
And you're going to see this imagery of the, the broken pot. They're on your, your table. I had a number of guys say, what, what's up with the pots? Um, well, that pot is you. Uh, some pots are bigger than others. You'll notice on the tables. Um, but every one of them is cracked. Every one of them has a flaw in it. Every one of them, you look at it and go, man, what, what's, this thing needs to be thrown out. This thing has no value. And that too often is the perspective of us. Um, even today, you will do something today where you will fail God. You're going to screw up in some way. You're going to get angry. You're going to explode. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to look at something on the Internet you shouldn't look at. You're going to lust after some woman walking down the street. You're going to do something to screw up. And the enemy's going to whisper in your ear, See? You're flawed and you're useless to God. You're a cracked pot. You, you've got no value to the kingdom of God. And so what we do is we go through life, guys, and this is what we, we expect. This is what we think God's looking for. He's looking for this perfect pot, this perfect vessel that he can pour himself into and use. You know, it's perfect symmetry, looks good, could be used for a variety of things. It could be used to serve from. It could be used to put plants in and grow things in. It could be used for a variety of things by God, but only because it's perfect, only because it's well-made and because it's got beautiful detailing and it's impressive to look at. And so we think, okay, God, God takes these kind of people and he takes himself and he pours himself into these kinds of people. But I'm not, I'm not one of those people. And so we look around and we see, well, gosh, he's using him. and he's, Man, look at the way he uses Ted. Every single Sunday, they, I mean, he, he speaks to people. He encourages people. He encourages me. He's sharing his, his talents and his gifts in an incredible way. And I can see his talents and gifts. But that's not me. See, we, we think this is what we have to look like. And when we go and we study the scriptures, we look at these men like Joseph and we look at men like Moses and Abraham and, and we look at them and we say, God, man, if I could just be like him. The truth is you are just like him. You are just like him. Because the reality of life, guys, is this is what God uses. This is what God, this is me. This is you. I am so flawed. I've got so many foibles. I've got so many faults. I've got so many cracks. I've got cracks I don't even know about. I haven't even discovered them yet. Isn't that an exciting thought? You know, I thought I, I, thought I knew all my flaws. I'm finding them every day. And as I grow closer to Christ, as I grow deeper in my walk with him, guess what he shows me? More flaws. Why? To prune me. To show me that I need him. To show me that I'm imperfect and that I can't do this on my own. But he pours himself into me and he's poured himself into you and he says, I want to use you. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm not looking for the slick guy, the outgoing guy, the guy that has it all together on the outside. And the truth is, guys, what we do is we fake it. 
And my prayer is over the next 12 weeks that we will quit faking it and quit trying to act like we're something we're not. And next week, we're going we're gonna to look at the life of Moses. And that's the very thing we're going to look at in the life of Moses. Here was a guy that we could study so much about this man's life. You know, he, he did so many things. He parted the Red Sea. He struck a rock and water came out. He, he, he wrote the Ten Commandments by hand, brought them down, carried them to the people. He led them for over 40 years through the wilderness. But that's not what we're going to look at. We're going to look at an obscure kind of a passage where Moses had this incredible experience on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, didn't eat the entire time, came down, and what was happening on his face? What had happened? He was glowing like a light bulb because he had been in the presence of God. And the people were blown away and scared, and they were just like, what in the world is that? And so what he would do is he would put a veil over his face. And then he would go back on the mountain. And then when he'd come back down, he'd veil his face again. But over in Corinthians, it tells us that something happened to the glow. It went away. But he kept faking it. He kept wearing the veil. Why? He didn't want anybody to know the, the glow had gone long ago. So he just kept faking it. And many of us as men are faking it. And we're not willing to say, you know what, I am a cracked pot. I am a flawed, filthy, dirty, cracked pot. And guess what? God wants to use you. God wants to use you. I want to look at and set it up as we go through this series. And as Ben said, there's going to be six of us teaching. I'm not going to tell you who's teaching when because I know what you'll do. You won't come on certain times when certain guys are teaching. So I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you that they're all going to be good. It's all stuff you need to hear. And we're going to be looking at the kind of man that God uses. And guys, God is not looking for perfection. Get it out of your head. If you're waiting until you get your act together, you're going to be waiting a long, long, long time. And it is amazing to me how works has creeped its way into Christianity today. How we, we base everything on human effort self-effort, if I can just get over this sin, if I can just do better at prayer, if I can just be more loving, if I can just do X, Y, and Z, then God will use me. God is not looking for perfection. He specializes in the flawed, not the faultless. He wants to use men who are flawed. That is always how he's chosen to do it. If you go back and look at every man he used, every one of them are flawed. As a matter of fact, I look at some of them and go, God, why him? Why did you choose that weasel? Why did you choose that loser? Look at the disciples. Who would ever have started a corporation with those 12 guys? Nobody. But yet God chose them and God chose me. And there's probably some of you out there going, why did you choose that weasel? And you're right. There's no reason other than the grace of God. He chooses the flawed, not the faultless. And he uses the imperfect, not the impressive. See, we're sucked into this thing that, you know, man, we're wowed by the impressive. The guy who can get up and speak, the guy who, who's eloquent, the guy who's got it all together, and we are wowed by that, and we are impressed, and we go, Ooh, well, look at that guy. But God just sits there and goes, I know his heart. I know what he's like on the inside, and I'm not impressed. I want the imperfect. 
I want those who are cracked, filthy, common, everyday, ordinary, and that's what I want to work with. That's who I want to work through. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 9. He says, he's having dinner at Matthew's house. Tax collectors and sinners are there eating. He ate with them. And the, the Pharisees saw it and they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And that was a real slam. You know, what, what are you doing associating with these people? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, Jesus didn't come to minister to the Pharisees. Why? Because they were Pharisaical. They were the righteous in their own minds who were healthy in their own minds who didn't need a doctor. So he says, I didn't come for you anyway. I came to those who are sick spiritually. That's who he came for. How about this? Think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. This is Paul, and he says, not many of you in this room were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position. But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. He chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. He chose what is regarded as nothing to set aside what is regarded as something so that no one can boast in his presence. So what did God choose? The weak, the non-powerful, the non-impressive, the flawed, the fault-filled. That's what God chose. Why? Look at the last phrase, so that no one can boast. You know, if, if, if I look like this, I'm going to start boasting. I, I'm going to get real proud of my appearance and what I bring to the table and look at, look at what I do. And the truth is, we're tempted to do that anyway, as flawed as we are. But if I keep remembering that, man, this is what I look like, this is who I am, and yet God uses me, and he's filled me, and he's put his son within me and his Holy Spirit, it gives me a whole new perspective. It's not about who I am. It's about him. See, God uses the non-impressive. And every man we're going to look at, you're going to see that over and over again. These, these men were not impressive. They didn't, most of them didn't think of themselves as impressive. Colossians tells us, when you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He chose you when you were your most flawed, when you were full of sin, dedicated to sin, bound by sin, and he chose you and he poured himself into you. He didn't wait around until you got your act together, did he? And I'm so glad. It's when we were in our sin that he chose us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And I don't know how more flawed you can get than dead. That's pretty flawed. And yet, that's the condition I was in when he poured himself into me. So over the next 11 weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at six men. We're going to unpack their lives. And we're going to see some things about them. Each was flawed in a major way. Some of them in multiple ways. And some you'll relate to more than others. You're going to find out that they were highly imperfect, in some of them, it, it, just, it just jumps off the pages and you read their lives and you go, how in the world did this guy get chosen by God? How did God use him for anything? And yet every one of them did remarkable things for the kingdom of God. The other thing that you're going to find out is they were undeserving. 
of God's choice to use them. God didn't look down from heaven and go, well, God, that guy's, boy, he's, he's screwed up. That guy's not as screwed up. I think I'll choose him. Or he didn't look down and go, man, one of them really is sharp looking. That guy, he's usable. That guy's got a huge crack in his side. He leaks. Not choosing it. No, none of them were deserving, but he used him. So we're going to look at Moses next week. One of the things we're going to look at is the the demons of self-doubt that this guy struggled with. We're going to look at Abraham the next week. Temptations of self-reliance. This guy constantly relied on himself. And and Bill Egner is going to unpack his life. Gideon. Great stories. Doug's going to look at his life. And some of the things we're going to see is pride and and a double-mindedness. This guy couldn't make up his mind which way to go. Trust God, not trust God. Lean on God, lean on me. He didn't know what he was doing half the time. How about Isaac? This guy was full of spiritual complacency. And many of us struggle with that today. Elijah, I look at him as a spiritual schizophrenic. I mean, this guy's up one moment, he's down the next. He's on the mountaintop and then he's in the valley. He's in depression. He's in, you know, he just can't make up his mind what he wants to be when he grows up spiritually. And then we're going to look at David, how this guy was totally controlled by passion, sometimes for good, sometimes for negative passion. So we're going to look at these guys, but this morning what I want you to do is open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want you to read verses 7 through 15 together, and then I want you to answer these questions, spend a little time discussing this passage, and then we're going to go on. But this is going to be a key passage for setting this up, so spend some time in this, read it out loud together, and then discuss as many of these questions as you can get through in the next few minutes, and then we'll pick it up again. So what do, we, what do we learn from 2 Corinthians 4? One of the, th- the key things, there's a lot packed into these, these verses, but one of the key things I get out is that it's what's inside that counts. It's what's inside that counts. What do I mean by that? Well, it says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have this treasure. The emphasis is on the content, not the container. So we have this treasure, and that's important for us to understand, because what we do is we put the emphasis on the container. We come over here and we look at, we look at all our flaws, and we, we get daily reminded. Sometimes we see them ourselves, but if you're like me, you get reminded by those around you, uh, usually those who love you, uh, tell you your flaws. You know, honey, you, you need to be more patient with the kids. Honey, you, you forgot to take the trash out again. Honey, you whatever. But we get reminded by those around us. Maybe it's our boss. Maybe it's uh, friends, well-meaning friends. And we're reminded daily of our container. And we lose sight of the content. But what 2 Corinthians 4, 7 tells me is that it's the treasure inside that really matters. See, we obsess about externals. I can get obsessed about my sinfulness. And believe me, I got plenty to obsess about. But I can, I can start thinking about all my failures and I can think about all the things that I struggle with and all the things I do that I wish I didn't do. And I can live in Romans chapter 6 with Paul and just, oh, miserable man that I am. Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Why don't I do the things I want to do? What? And I, I can get obsessed with the flawed nature of my container and the externals. 
But this verse tells me that God is concerned about the content. He is concerned about what he's poured into me. That he has placed his Holy Spirit within me. That he's chosen me. And he's poured himself into me. And that's what he thinks about. And that's what he's worried about. He's not thinking about everything else that I do. He's not thinking about the flawed nature of who I am and what I look like. And see, that's so hard for me to grasp. And it's, it's the reason grace is so hard to get my hands around is because, I, Lord, how can you not see this? I see it every day. How can you not be disappointed in me? How can you not reject me and not want to use me when you see how bad this really is? And see, we have this warped perspective that God's up in heaven looking down on us and he's just shaking his head going, why in the world did I pour anything into him? He leaks like a sieve. He can't hold anything I pour into him. How can one man be so unuseful? But see, that's not what God does. That's not what he does. Look over at chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Just flip there real quick. Look at what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Many of you have memorized that verse, but you don't believe it for one stinking minute. See, we start out obsessing with this, and we think, this is what I'm supposed to look like. This is what I've got to become before Jesus Christ can pour himself into me and use me. What we don't realize is that he already has. I have the Holy Spirit within me. And what this verse tells me is, I am now in Christ. And when God looks at me, as hard it is for you to believe this, and hard it is for me to believe this, what he sees is Christ. He doesn't see your flaws. He doesn't see all your warts and wrinkles. He doesn't obsess about what you obsess about. Because you are now in Christ. Your righteousness, you have imputed to you the righteousness of Christ. I don't understand this. I don't see how it works. But it does, according to Scripture, that he looks at me and he sees the perfection of Christ. And not my flaws. Does it mean I don't have them? No, I still got them. But when God looks at me... He sees what's in me, his Holy Spirit, and he sees me in Christ. He sees the perfection of Christ. See, that's, that's just so alien to us. It's so hard for us to get our hands around. That's why we study these guys and we go, I will never accomplish what this guy accomplished because I don't have what he has. But we contain, if you are in Christ, and I'm making a huge assumption in a room this size, that we are in Christ. We have accepted Christ as our Savior. If you have, then you have within you a priceless treasure. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit with all the power that comes with it. You have the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ, the living Savior. You have that treasure within you. In spite of all your flaws, you have the glory of God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, in you. And see, if I could start thinking about that instead of this, don't you think it would change the way I live? 
But what we do as Christians is we spend all of our time thinking about this and how I need to change it. I am so stinking flawed and I got to get my act together. I got to work so much harder. I got to pray more. I got to read more. I got to go to more Bible studies. I got to do more so that I can look like this. And if God's up in heaven shaking his head, his head, it's because you already are this. See, Christian maturity, spiritual maturity is not you trying to become something you're not. It's becoming what you already are. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. One of the best illustrations of that, I think, is, um, is the caterpillar. And I read this just recently in a book, and I, I, I love the illustration. I didn't know this, but if you do a DNA test on a caterpillar, what you will find, it, is, it has in it the DNA of a butterfly. If you take the DNA of, out of a butterfly and the DNA out of a caterpillar, they are exactly the same. It does not have the DNA of a caterpillar. It has the DNA of a butterfly. And see, guys, that's what we have. We have within us the DNA of Jesus Christ. And all we are doing is becoming what we already are. But see, we spend all our time, God, I'm just a miserable caterpillar. I got nothing to offer. And I got to start working really hard so that I can become a butterfly. So that I can become all that God wants me to be. But I'm not there yet. And I won't be until I go to more Bible studies, memorize more scripture, pray more, beat myself up more. And we lose sight of the fact that we have within us the person of Jesus Christ. See, Paul compares himself to an earthenware jar. He says, I'm just a clay pot. I have within me, in this clay pot, this incredible treasure. He knows that he's a clay pot, but he also knows that he has within him something of incredible value. And that regardless of the fact that he's got no more value than a terracotta pot, which that thing didn't cost me squat, so it didn't bother me to break it. Paul's like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that in and of myself I have no value because what's really important is what's in me, and it's Jesus Christ. Paul was ordinary, not extraordinary, and every man we're going to look at was ordinary, not extraordinary. And short of the presence of God, the power of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, these men would have done nothing for God. And the same thing's true of you and I. But we have the indwelling Spirit in, in the presence of Jesus Christ. So we're just, we're containers, guys. We're just containers. But aren't you glad that you can be used for something great? That in spite of your flaws, that you are a container that, that has within you something incredible, incredibly valuable and that can transform you? That's what we are. We're containers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The value is in the content, not in the container. And we got to just wake up and say, okay, I'm a clay pot and I'm proud of it. I got flaws and that's okay. Do you, are you going to live with those flaws? No. But as we realize that Jesus Christ came and he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we might be transformed and changed more and more and increasingly more into his likeness, those flaws will go away, but we will always be a crackpot until he comes back and gets us. 
But the value is in our content. Our lives are like common everyday clay pots. And we've got to just say, okay, I don't have to become this to be used. I just got to wake up, realize this is what I am, but he poured himself into me and he's going to use me in spite of me. In spite of me. You know, as a clay pot, we can be easily broken. I was surprised how hard that thing actually was to break, but you can break a clay pot. Just set it down too hard, knock it over, it will crack, it will break. But you know what? What's cool about that is that brokenness allows what's inside to come out. It, it just lets it come out. If you, it reminds me of the story of Gideon. And you know, Doug Cecil is going to talk about Gideon, but you remember the story where they, they put the lamp in a, in a pot and then they cracked the pot and the light shone? In a way, that's what happens. When we get cracked, when we have flaws, it allows the power, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, to come out and for people to see his power and not see us. That's the whole key is that our brokenness allows what's inside to come out. It allows them to see the power of God and not us. So as clay pots, we can be afflicted. If you go on and look at this passage in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we are afflicted. That means pressed hard upon, compressed, pushed down. Anybody in here feeling that right now? A little pressed upon, a little pressure, a little stress going on in your life? He says, we're perplexed. That word literally means we don't know what to do. I don't have a clue what to do next. And I talk to somebody virtually every day of the week who's in that point. They're pressed upon and they're perplexed. I don't know what to do. I'm confused. I'm at a loss. He says we're persecuted. It literally means harassed, pursued, put to flight. You're, you're running for your life because you, you got so many things crashing in on you and you're just taking off. See, this is Paul speaking. He says, and we're struck down. We're thrown to the ground. We're put in a low place. If you throw a pot to the ground, what's going to happen? It's going to crack. He says, this is what's going on. And that's exactly where God wants us as clay pots. I love this quote. This is by Bob Deffenbaugh. He says, when we are broken by adversity, opposition, and suffering, God's power is revealed. God's work is accomplished in a way that does not glorify the clay pot, but manifests God's surpassing power and glory. God is not interested in glorifying you. He wants to glorify himself through you. And one of the best ways to do that is by using us as flawed as we are. Because let's face it, if we do anything great, who should get the glory? It's, it's got to be him. Because we certainly didn't bring anything to the table to make it happen. You know, as a clay pot, we're to be resilient, guys. We're to be resilient. Clay pots are cheap. You can buy them by the dozens. They're ordinary. They're actually pretty disposable because you can just go buy another one. I knew if I broke this one and it all fell apart, I could just go up to the store and get another one. But here's the thing about them. They're incredibly durable as well. They've been around for centuries. You still have ones that are hundreds and thousands of years old. They're breakable, but they're durable. They can ex ex withstand extreme conditions, heat and cold. You can put hot stuff in them, cold stuff in them. You can freeze them. They can withstand all kinds of stuff, even though they're just clay. They can take rough handling. They can be chipped. 
and they can still be used. That thing has a huge crack in the top of it, but it still can contain what I put in it. That's what we are. We're resilient. Paul goes on in verses 8 and 9. He says, we're pressed upon on every side, crushed, but we're not perplexed. We're in despair, but we're, we're persecuted. We're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. He says, in spite of all the stuff happening to us, we keep on keeping on. Why? Because of what's inside of us, because of the power that we have within us. See, we're fragile as clay pots. We're breakable. We're even replaceable. You ever thought about that, how replaceable you really are? You know, I sometimes think about this ministry. Gosh, what what if something happens to me? This ministry will probably grow. Because I'm replaceable. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but it's really hard for me to let anybody else teach. Yeah, you know that. Why? What if they like them better? And you probably will. Um, I don't want Doug Cecil up here because you'll want Doug Cecil to come back. See, we think we're irreplaceable, but the fact is we, we are highly replaceable. Why? Because we have no value in and of ourselves. But guys, we're sturdy. We are sturdy. We're cheap, but we're sturdy. And we got to remember that the key to resiliency, the key to lasting is the intensity of the heat. If I make a clay pot and I don't subject it to the heat, I got nothing. It will fall apart in my hands. So the higher the heat, the more intense the pressure, the more resilient and sturdy will be the pot. And that's what God's doing in many of our lives right now. I think that's what he's doing in our nation right now. A clay pot that doesn't go through the heat, doesn't feel the heat, will never withstand pressure. It will cave in and it will collapse on itself. See, all of this, I'm just trying to get us to set up the, the idea that God's going to use you in spite of you. You're not perfect. Neither am I. And we've got to remember that you and I are expendable. Clay pots are inexpensive to produce. They have little intrinsic value. You don't usually use them for decoration other than the ones we put on your table. They're meant to be used up tossed aside, go get another one. And in the grand scheme of things, God's kingdom is going to move on in spite of me, with me, without me. Because I'm not the important part here. It's him. It's him. I love verses 10 through 12 of chapter 4. Paul says, we are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. See, this is, this is an issue where it's not about me. It's not about the pot. It's not about my flaws. It's about Jesus Christ who lives within me and his power flowing through me. And being usable by him, being available for him. See, a clay pot doesn't mind giving itself away. And that's what we're called to do, men. Give ourselves away. Get used up. Maybe get a few more cracks. That's okay. As long as you're being used by God. Paul says he'd rather suffer than not be used. Do you have that attitude today? Man, I'd rather go through more suffering and know I'm going to be used than not be used at all. 
to not be used at all. Well, here's how I want you to do your second discussion. We're about to wrap this up. Look at 2 Timothy 2, just two verses, 20 and 21. And I want you to just, again, discuss this couple of verses around your table, and then I'll wrap it up in just a few minutes. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, great verses. Let me see if I can wrap this up and bring it to a close. Hopefully have some conclusions. 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 21. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware or clay, some to honor, some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. In a house there are all kinds of vessels. There's gold, there's clay, there's expensive stuff, cheap stuff. What makes it special? What makes it special? See, we look at the church and we see people on Sunday, some look like the one on the left or your right, and some, some of us look like the one on the, the other side. And we compare and we say, gosh, that's, that's a vessel for honor. That one, God couldn't use that. Not even sure why they're here. But guys, here's the deal. It's not the value of the container that determines worth. We have got to get that through our heads. It's not the value of the container. It is not you. It's not the person next to you. It's not Ted. It's not me. It's not Bill Egner. It's not the container. It's not the value of the container. One of those costs more than the other. And it's pretty obvious which one costs more. But in God's eyes, that has nothing to do with the picture. And then this verse tells us that only the container that is clean inside can be used. How do you get clean inside? Anybody in here tired of trying to get clean inside? Man, I got so many sins I'm trying to get rid of. I get, I'm chasing my tail. I get rid of one sin and then three more pop in. And then I discover I never got rid of the one I started with. How do you get cleansed inside? Is it effort? Is it just working harder? We get cleansed by the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen overnight. I wish it would. I wish I could go to bed tonight, take a pill, wake up tomorrow, and be totally righteous. There is a pill for that. It's called kill yourself. Um, I'd be in heaven. I'm not going there. There is no quick fix to this, guys, but we get cleansed, not by self-effort, but by allowing what's in us to come out of us and transform us. I also learned from this verse that it's the master who determines the container's purpose. I don't get to determine that. And many of you are out here fighting God because he's got a purpose for you, and you're going, don't want that one. Give me three more choices. That's not how it works. The master gets to determine the use. And then finally, it's an honor to be useful to the master. We should desire nothing more than to be useful to the master. What does it say? 
to be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart. That's what he did when he chose you. He set you apart and he said, you're mine. I'm going to use you for what I want to use you for. I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit into you and I got a job for you to do. I've got work for you to do. I have prepared work for you to do. You and you and you and you, every one of you. I don't care how flawed you are, how old you are, how young you are, how cracked you are, how pretty you think you are, when you're really not. God has something for you to do. And if you get nothing else out of this whole series is, it's not about Moses, it's not about Abraham, it's not about Isaac, it's not about Paul, it's not about David, it's not about any of these men. It's about men and women being used by God to accomplish the work of God in spite of their flawedness. And you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again, and I'll probably say it every time I get a chance to say it. If we would recognize the fact that we have God living within us through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ, his son, and we began to see ourselves as he sees ourselves, we, this room, could change things in this community. We could change things, but it would mainly begin to change you. So we're going to look at six men, and you're going to find out they're incredibly flawed, and you're going to relate to them. And you're going to realize that if God can use them, what could he do through you? Would you pray with me? Father, I come to you this morning. I thank you once again for the chance to come together with men. Uh, What a privilege. I'm also thankful, Father, that I can come together with a group of men who I know are just as screwed up as I am. They're just as flawed as I am. And I don't have to compare my flawedness to their flawedness. I don't have to find somebody in the room that's worse off than me to make me feel better because it doesn't matter. Because when you look at me, you see Jesus Christ. When you look at me, you see righteousness. When you look at me, you don't shake your head in disappointment. You see so much potential because you know what's inside of me if I will just let it come out of me. And so you put pressure on me and you create cracks in me that allows what's in me to shine through me and flow out of me so that I can reflect what's truly there. Father, I pray that you would continue your transforming work in the lives of these men and in my life that we would truly be flawed yet faithful men. We will never stop being flawed, Father, until your son returns or you take us home. So in the meantime, help us to embrace our flawedness and realize that it's because of you that we can do anything. And it's because of you that we can do everything. Thank you, Father. And we give you this day. We give you our problems. We give you our cares. We give you our cracks. We give you our dirt. We give you our chips. We give you everything we have. And we say, use us. Use us, Father. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ your Son, and our Savior. Amen.